Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. Tony Luciani is a full-time professional fine artist who's been painting for over 40 years. He's exhibited in over 100 shows, both nationally and internationally, received multiple awards and grants, and he's listed in the Canadian version of Who's Who. Tony works out of his home studio, mostly painting, but he's also expanded his repertoire recently to include photography, and he's produced a series of photos of his 93-year-old mother, who has dementia. These photos were collected for a book titled Mama in the Meantime. Tony's mother lives with him and he's her primary caregiver. He joins us from his home in Durham, Ontario. Tony Luciani, I'm delighted to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Jen. It's lovely to be with you. So to kind of put this in context, I know that your family is Italian. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how your family happened to come to Canada? My parents were both born in Italy. My dad is 13 years older than my mom, and they were married by proxy. So my dad's father had passed away suddenly by, with pneumonia at age 36, I believe. And uh, my grandmother was left with uh, two young daughters, my mom being the oldest at 13 and a sister at, at 11. And in those days, no such thing as remarrying in the Catholic religion. So they had all this land and all these animals, and word got out that they were marrying off the oldest daughter at 13. Wow. And my dad got wind of it. He was in Africa fighting uh, with the Italian army that was stationed in Africa. He got wind of it and was notified and was asked if he would be interested in marrying this young girl. My dad was 26 at that time. And he said yes. So when he came back from the war, he was actually quarantined in hospital for six months with malaria. And mom had her first child at 16. And a second one, eight years later, my dad came to Canada after the war was over to find work in Alberta in the coal mines and that was kind of dirty work so he stayed in Canada for two years on his own sending money back to his family and then when he had an opportunity to find work in Toronto he moved there and settled in and called his wife my mom and two brothers over from Italy and they uh, settled in Toronto and I was the happy reunion uh, <laughs> a year later I was born. So you're the youngest of three? I'm the youngest of three, yes. Okay. And are the others living yeah. in, in Toronto? My, my oldest brother, who's 16 years older than I am, who's living just outside of Toronto, yes, he's retired. And um, my middle brother, Terry, he passed away 11 years ago. Oh, I'm so sorry. Suddenly, yeah. Well, so your mom married at, how old was she when she married? Well, 13 by proxy. By proxy. But didn't meet, she didn't meet him until she was uh, 15, personally, because he was still stationed in Africa. So... Technically, it's just she was married at 13, but didn't meet him t until two years later. So when you say by proxy, d do you mean she was promised to him, or she was literally married in, in, Mar in yeah, absentia? Married, yeah, by letter. Yeah, yes, yes. So there's young. a paper sign, yeah. I know that the story goes, you know, <laughs> that when I went to Italy um, my second time, I stayed in the village where my mother was born, 
and my great uncle was still living at that point. And we'd walk down and up the mountains together, and he'd tell me stories about my family, which I didn't know. And one story was that my dad would be up high up in the mountains with a friend um, herding goats, and they would take turns every couple of weeks to come down to have a proper meal and be with family and have a bath and so forth, and they would just switch every couple of weeks. Well, my dad would be coming down the mountain, and my mom would be playing skipping rope with the girls in the <laughs> in the piazza with the rest of the girls with the baby carriage beside her. Wow. So here's this grown man of almost 30 coming down the mountain, you know, unshaven and like a real man, and there's this young girl still skipping rope with the rest of them in the piazza. So in terms of your evolution as an artist, I read that you were already drawing by age six, and you were compelled to enter a TV Guide magazine contest, but they sent back your entries. Can you explain what happened yeah. there? Well, I bawled my eyes out. Uh, <laughs> I was really young, and my family kept getting these TV Guide magazines. I guess it was my, my brother who was more interested in t- television than anybody else. And the inside back cover, if I remember correctly, TV Guide magazine, there was a contest, weekly contest, of a drawing. And the idea was to do a copy of the drawing, but not actual size, bigger, and then send it in for some reward of some sort. And so I would religiously do that every week and send them in. And I was too young to even know what a a stamp or proper postage was. So Uh I would just send them in without even a stamp. I, I kept doing that weekly. And this one time, I got this big manila envelope. And it was, like, thick. I never got anything in the mail. I was, you know, at that point, I think seven or so. And I opened it up, and all my drawings were returned in a letter saying, we know you've been cheating. Please don't send any more of these drawings because they will not be eligible for the contest. Hmm. And I bawled my eyes out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, my brother, Terry, the one who passed away uh, 11 years ago, he was my my big brother, eight years older than I was. He just said to me, well, if they think you're cheating, and we know you haven't, you must be really good. That stuck with me in my head. Mm. I thought, okay. And instead of taking a, into a negative, I went with it as a positive. And that's where I started. And I just began drawing more and more. And no, no matter what people said, I knew that I was progressing. And I was doing things that people my age were not. In high school, grade nine, I went to a high school that specialized in art programming, oh. art training. Mm-hmm. So half my courses were art-related. So it was uh, life drawing. I had life drawing at age 13, in grade nine. We had nudes at age 13. Wow. And I, I'm kind of <laughs> uh, revealing, <laughs> excuse the pun, in the first uh, um, lesson. But we had illustration, graphics, and history of art, and all that stuff, and, as well as math and sciences and um, for the other half. Mm-hmm. So for four years in high school, I took art. And then um, I decided I wanted to become an illustrator for some reason. I guess that was where the job prospects were. And I, I went to a college called Sheridan College, which is outside of Toronto in Oakville, a suburb of Toronto for a year for the illustration program and Jen I was bored because I already had four years of art training and all the other students that were in that same first year with me were coming from different schools from all around southern Ontario and they had art as just as a secondary once a week class right and so I had I had done stuff that they were teaching at the illustration program at the art college in grade nine mm-hmm. and I was just really really bored and to get to school and to come back it took about an hour and a half subway and bus mm-hmm. um, every day, and I was exhausted. So I decided I wanted to switch to the Interior College of Art, which is downtown Toronto. And it was a, a short, much shorter uh, bus ride. And I applied for second year. So I had done one in, at Sheridan College. They saw my portfolio for admittance, and they stuck me into third. So I skipped a year in college. I didn't hmm. have to take the second year at all. And so I went to third and fourth. I graduated fourth year. 
and I was still only 20 years old. So what to do? The Intercollegiate of Art has a, an off-campus program in Florence, Italy, and I thought, well, I'm too young to get a job. I, I just don't want to go to work yet. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to do at that point. Mm-hmm. So I applied for that. I got into postgraduate studies in Florence, Italy for another year. Wow. So that was an eye-opening for me, the first time in, in Europe, yeah. And then I came back. I came back. Within a week, I got myself um, a, a dealer, a gallery in Toronto. Within wow. a week after that, at age 21. And I've been painting ever since. Wow, what a great story. You know, initially it starts off as a want, and then it becomes a need, and then it becomes a passion. Well, you describe your style as interpretive realism, traditionally inspired. Mm. Tell us more. I use different means of coming to a final visualization of my work, the final work. I use reality, life, things in front of me. Um, I also use imagination. So a lot of things are made up. And also I use references. So I, I do have photography if I'm doing a, a portrait of someone right. who can't stay with me for mm-hmm. weeks and months. So I use all three elements, and all three always go into my work. I, I don't leave one of them out. And that gives it a bit of a surrealist quality to it as well. It's not quite photographic, it's not quite real life, and it's not quite imaginary. It's all three things. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about your photographs, but first I want to talk about your mom and when she moved in and why. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. My dad passed away 20 years ago, and my mom lived on her own in a house in Toronto that she's been in for since the early 60s. And in 1993, she fell on some ice on the sidewalk outside, and she broke her hip. Um, now, my son was living with her, who was going to school in Toronto, so he took over a little bit of the, the caregiving, the, what he could with her at that point, which he was fantastic doing. But it wasn't the hip that was the problem. She started to walk a little better every day, and she started to uh, maneuver herself to the point where the hip wasn't an issue as much anymore. But at the same time, she started to lose her short-term memory, and that was a concern because she would forget. She would forget to eat. She'd forget how to turn the stove off. Mm-hmm. She would forget to flush the toilet. She'd forget to change her sheets. It, it wasn't a, a good way of you know, being on her own. And my son, who went to school, um, tried his best, and you know, he was fantastic. But it was just a bit too much for him. So it was decided in 2014, uh, with my older brother and myself, that um, we had to do something. And so the idea was putting her to an assisted living residence, nursing home, a place where she can have care. The, the waiting list was very, very long. It was a couple of years in Toronto, in fact. Oh, wow. Um, For assisted living? Yeah. It, it just, yeah. Hmm. Um, now, they do have um, ways of speeding that process up, but she wasn't, she had mild dementia. It wasn't like full force. So she didn't quite qualify to be put on the emergency list at that point. When you say the waiting list was long, is that because in Canada the assisted living facilities are subsidized and there are fewer of them, whereas here in the U.S. they're yeah. generally for-profit? Right, right, right. Well, yes, there are different um, living arrangements that could be had. You can go private, which is very expensive, and you can get in. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's government subsidized, which you pay partial and the government helps out with the rest. Okay. Um, and that has a long waiting list. Yeah, that's yeah. what you were referring to. Yeah. Okay. And, and especially in sort of homes that she'd be more comfortable in, for example, right. more predominantly Italian-speaking, mm-hmm. so that she can get along with people with you know, a language that she was comfortable with. Does she speak to you <laughs> in Italian? 
Yes. So the two of you converse in yes. Italian only. Yes. It's a wonderful thing for her, too, because she's mm. not stuck in a nursing home or assisted living, and she has to listen to English or some other language, and she doesn't quite comprehend mm-hmm. uh, totally. She mm-hmm. converse with me. It's the same dialect. You know, she can talk to me in her small-town native Italian dialect, and I mm-hmm. can respond to it accordingly. And it's much more comfortable for her. She struggles if there's a third person and huh. an English is spoken because she just sits there and not say anything because all of a sudden the conversation goes into English and it takes her a while. To, she never catches up. Right. And were you speaking in yeah. Italian in your growing up years exclusively? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. My very first report card in school, in kindergarten, I was like five years old. My report card, I still have it. The teacher wrote down, you have to speak English with Tony at home because uh, he doesn't understand English here at school. (laughs) (laughs) My first language is Italian, I guess. Um, I didn't learn English until I was five or six when I went to school. Does your mom speak Um, English? She she speaks a little bit of English, not Mm -hmm. a lot. She's losing that, too. Uh Uh, When she worked in Toronto, she was the person in charge of a whole sewing department in a a factory in downtown Toronto. She worked there many, many years. And she had to learn parts of different languages to communicate with people who spoke Spanish and Korean and Chinese and Japanese and Greek mm-hmm. and German. So she knew all these languages. She had maybe about 10 in her arsenal. When she'd come home, she'd study. And so she could actually carry on a little bit of a conversation as long as it had to do with you know, the sewing machine and, and sewing and coming to work and little things here and there. She can talk to the, the workers who were at the sewing machines with, but she's lost all that. Lost everything. That's interesting because I've spoken with people whose parents have dementia and English is not their first language. And someone told me that her mother reverted to her native language when she got deep mm. into her Alzheimer's, which I found so fascinating. Right. Yeah, yeah, she's she's slowly. I see it every day. Uh, mm-hmm. She's slowly reverting to what you just said. She's losing her English as well, and things that happened two minutes ago, she forgets. But she can talk to you about things that happened 30, 40, 50 years ago easily. And I, I certainly can't challenge her on those things because you know, it's her memory <laughs> right. and I wasn't there. So, <laughs> so, and you know what? Um, her normal is is different than it was before her dementia. So, you know, mm-hmm. our normal, you and I, you and I talking with her. We can't force our normal normal onto her because her normal is what she is and what she thinks. Right. And if we challenge her on what normality is, what the world considers it to be, she gets depressed mm-hmm. because then she knows that she's losing it. Mm. So um, I try to reinforce her um, persona and her vitality by not challenging her on saying, "Oh, Mama, that's that's not how it happened. That's not how it worked." You know, I don't say those things necessarily. I say. Well, if you think so, that's great. That's fabulous, Mom. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And just encourage her because I don't want to see her down. And she gets down fairly easy because she's still at a stage in her dementia where she realizes that she's losing it. Mm-hmm. And she feels that uh, it's a burden on everybody around her that mm-hmm. she can't be herself. And so when she's talking to me, I let her finish. And you know, I, I will converse with her. But I, I do listen, and I think she appreciates it, too. Now, I don't shut her up, uh, out of uh, anything. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have our meals, and we talk. And you know, that was the essence of the whole idea of my, my photography as well, through conversation. Uh-huh. So just to get back to her living with you for a moment, how would you say yeah. your, your life changed after she moved in? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my freedom was completely wiped away. But... <laughs> 
not to make it into a, a complete negative, it was very, very positive as well as a, as a painter. You know, we, we certainly can hit ourselves in, over the head by saying, why am I here at the beach? I should be in my studio creating. So the excuses of being at the beach were no longer there. I was in my studio painting and, and taking photography as well. So the, the act of creating certainly was paramount in just making me feel positive about this whole experience with her being here. I've actually done a lot more work with her here than if she wasn't here. I am creating with her. You know, I see her sometimes sullen and just, you know, reflecting, just staring at the wall, not really doing anything. Mm -hmm. And I feel guilty that she's not doing something. So I offer puzzles and I have books and, you know, I surround her with many things. And if she's not interested, I say, Mom, okay, I need you. I need you to do this for me. Mm -hmm. And so we set up a, a little scenario and let me do some photography. Uh -huh. And your brother, how involved is he in her care? Um, he's not involved at all, okay. um, but he does look after finances and so forth. It's an arm's length uh, approach. So mm -hmm. he, he and his wife are busy. Mm -hmm. They're retired. You know, mm -hmm. They have a life. Sounds I don't like have you're a excusing life, him. So I can stay home and look after. <laughs> That's very generous of you. But everyone has their role. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And you only have your son? No, I have a daughter too. Yeah, okay. I have a son and a daughter. My my daughter will be 28 August 1st, very okay. very shortly, uh -huh. and she's in Montreal. Uh -huh. And my son is will be 26 in November and well, he's in Toronto. What a great gift for your son to be, even though it was time consuming, to kind of looking in on your mom when she was still living alone oh, absolutely. and a learning yes. experience for him. Absolutely. It, it's made him grow up a little bit too. He's always been very coddled and catered to and to be the a caregiver, the person who actually had to make meals and, you know, give my mother a bath. Oh, he um, was doing I all that. Really, hmm. Yeah, he was absolutely doing that. He was living with her. He was living so, with um, her. Oh, he was living with her while he was going to school. Okay. So um, he wasn't paying anything. So his way of making things right or even, fair is that he look after her, which was wonderful for myself and my brother who didn't live in Toronto. And would, you know, we had uh, to only keep tabs by phone if um, you know, we couldn't get in right away. So my son was there and he looked after her. So it was fantastic. Yeah, he was living with her for about eight years, oh. actually, when he, was, when he went to high school. But my mom was taking care of him for the first six. And then her hip and her dementia set in. Then it, the rules changed. Okay. And your daughter, has she been involved at all in any of this? Not so much other than keeping tabs. Okay. She phones weekly mm -hmm. and, you know, talks to my mom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the three, four times a year that she visits from Montreal, she'll stay for a few days and really, really involved with bonding with my mom when she's here. And I have two great kids. They sound terrific. Yeah, they're fantastic. So it's just you and your mom? Yeah. The two of you. Okay. And my dog. And yeah. your dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's also probably great therapy for your mom. Yeah, he's three pounds heavier than he is, so, so he can't take her for walks anymore, or she can't take him for walks anymore. Well, not many artists can say their mother is their muse. What inspired you to create the photo series with your mom in particular? She is cheap, Jana, and she's here. <laughs> like, how? I prefer a much younger woman who's not related, but uh, I, I have what I have. <laughs> and uh, it's not costing me anything. And before she came to live with me, I have only done one drawing of her, ever. And that happened when my brother passed away. It mm -hmm. was actually two weeks afterwards. Mm -hmm. And that was the only drawing I've ever done of her. And so here she was, and who knows how long she has. I thought, I, I have to document something. I have to do something. I'm going to regret this if I don't. Here she is in my home, in my studio, and 
I can't let her just sit and not have anything to show proof that she's been with me. And so I, I've done a couple of paintings. One has garnered a lot of attention already, and it hasn't even left my studio. And then all these photographs that happened because I, I just got a new camera. Um, I, I don't know if I, if I didn't get the new camera, if it would have happened so easily, but I needed to learn how to use it, and she's there. Why not? And the more involved I got, I thought, there's a story here. It wasn't just taking pictures of an old woman through conversations. I started to come up with an imagery in my head of what we can do to showcase this woman's life. And so it's a, it's a form of visual diary that I was putting together. It was very personal. I had no intention of you know, going this far with it. But I was posting them online just as a means of getting feedback and reassurance from other photographers mm -hmm. and forums. And I got really good response. And it's interesting because I'm coming from it from an artist's perspective. And so I, I'm looking at it differently than someone who just picked up a camera and learned the technical aspects of it, dial turning, button pushing, mm -hmm. and took pictures. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm coming from it from a different side. And I think it's really hit uh, a nerve with a lot of people too, um, the whole series of what I'm trying to do. But the intention was never to be able to talk to Janet. <laughs> never. Um, this is a complete shock. I'm getting all this press and uh, reviews and articles all over the world. Well, it's wonderful. No it's, it's kind of inspiring just to know that people still care about older people. I mean, and there's well, great I mean, beauty yeah. in, in your photographs. There's unquestionable beauty oh, in them, you. just in terms of even the composition of them. But let me ask you, was your mom cooperative? Sure. And how long were the shoots? Did she get tired? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cooperative right from the beginning. In mm -hmm. fact, she initiated a lot of it. She'd be sitting there bored and I'd be painting. She said, um, do you have any pictures you want to do today? <laughs> <laughs> so I would be, I have ideas, a list of ideas that I'd be thinking while I'm painting. And I'd say, sure, Mom, I do have lots of ideas. Let's, uh, let's do something when the sun goes down. I need the sun to be down. Uh -huh. Or I need the sun to be up. Mm -hmm. Let's wait till tomorrow. So she, yeah, she would initiate the process. She would always just want something to do. She feels more useful and more alive when she has something to do instead of just waiting. Right. I looked at some of your paintings as well, and there's just this unflinching honesty in your work. It really kind of takes the viewer back because the subjects often really appear unguarded, yet really powerful in their directness. I know you did a painting called Wonder Woman with that was controversial, yeah. uh, a woman who has yeah. had a mastectomy. She's seen naked from the waist up. She's covering her surgically removed breast with staples in full view, and the other breast is exposed. I know this was controversial, and some galleries would not even exhibit that painting, Wonder Woman. In, in that same vein, your mom is seen expressing all kinds of, I would say, less controversial uh, emotions, but at the same time, you know, sort of looking startled or angry or often, you know, having quite a bit of fun. Has she always had a great sense of humor? And I'm wondering if the dementia brought out any emotions that you hadn't seen before or were amplified. I, I, think, it, I think it did. Yeah, I, I, because she's reverted to her childhood. So mm. she, she's much more playful when she's in that state of feeling or thinking young. Now, she's always been the mother who went to work, who did the laundry, did the cooking, and she worked. But when she was home, she stayed and did all the chores. And I don't think a lot of people really realize that she has a side of her that can be quirky. And I've seen her in hysterics while we're doing a process of putting together a, a setup for a, a shoot. I couldn't. I had to have to wait for her to settle down because she was <laughs> laughing so loud. Uh, I said, Mom, this is a really serious one. Stop it. 
and then she started all over again. Uh, but what I did last year, a, a winter, not the past winter, the one before, her first winter with me, to get her occupied, I gave her a small compact camera, and I showed her the two buttons to use because I taped up the other one that she was been confused with, uh-huh. and I attached a little tiny tripod to it so she can she can grasp onto the tripod, you know, instead of holding the camera itself. Right. And she her project was to go around the house because she wasn't uh, able to get outdoors because of the the weather and to take pictures within the house. And her photographs were awesome. Wow. They're fantastic. It initially was clicking, and then she started looking through the viewfinder, and I would see her looking at what was coming through the camera, and she wouldn't be satisfied with it, so she'd move a different angle, and then she'd sit down and look at it from a different angle, and then she would go left and then right, and then finally click. Hmm. So she's thinking about the whole concept we talked about, you know, composition and right. the camera straight and all that. And the outcome of that whole winter project was that she had a, her first one old woman photography exhibition in a little small cafe gallery here in town. And it did so well. She sold about 22 work, 22 photographs. Gosh, that's fantastic. And she was 92 then? 92 then, yeah. Wow. But she disappeared upstairs. Yeah. My studio's in the basement. I live in an old church, so it's in the the ground floor. But upstairs, I have a living area. Uh And she disappeared upstairs with the camera. And when I put them on the computer to see what she did, (laughs) she'd have the inside of a refrigerator. The inside of the refrigerator? Inside of a refrigerator. Oh, my gosh. Um, She'd go into... um, one of her cupboards and her drawers and mm-hmm. take a picture of what's inside her drawer. She wow. really, really went around and not just settled on things that were just there in front of her. She actually opened and closed things to find things to take photographs of. I thought that was really Wow. Well, she's always a seamstress. So construction exactly. and composition with detail and precision is very important to her. I can see that line from, from one to the other. Oh, well, let's talk about a few of the photographs, and this is a radio show, so sure. the listeners can't see, but we'll post some of these online. Sure. I'm looking at one called A Life Divided, which is, well, why don't you describe that? A Life Divided has, and that was a very simple shoot, actually, to tell mm-hmm. you the truth. I just had this idea of, because of her thoughts of being 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, year, 80 years ago, uh, more real than they are now for her to incorporate a lot of a lot of the imagery as a young girl, as a young woman. And I had just uh, maybe a half dozen old photographs in an album of her. Not very young, maybe when she was uh, a teen, maybe after marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Uh, really hard to tell. And so I, I took some of these images and I took a picture of them and then I cut them in half. And I just had it up against her face. I said, Mom, let's see how how much you've changed. And the picture lined up perfectly with her head. It was just a, a coincidence that it just lined up perfectly. And I said, oh, mom, we have to do a picture of this. So I, I had her pose, and I, t- I took the picture. The only manipulation in that particular one you're talking about is the brick wall behind her, the wall behind her. Mm-hmm. I had a wall, a concrete wall behind her in reality, and I have it coming through that particular part of the photograph. And that's the only change I made through Photoshop was that one. But everything else is real. Uh, she's actually holding the photograph up against her face. Mm-hmm. Um, and that worked out really, really well. In her mind, do you think she saw herself as this younger person, even though she has oh, dementia? Oh, all the time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, mirrors play a big part of my photography with her. If mm-hmm. you notice, a lot of the photographs have mirrors. 
And I, like, I catch her um, looking in the mirror or hearing her in the bathroom, knowing that she's looking in the mirror, and she's talking to herself. Now, she's talking to the mirror. She's talking to the person in it. And I can hear her saying, you know, who are you? You're not the person I, I'm thinking I am here, like I'm looking in the mirror, and that's not the person I am in my head. So I, I know she sees herself internally as a young person. Outwardly, she feels, you know, like life is passing by her too quick. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of spunk in her, but she can't, you know, follow through with that. With that right. Um, she hasn't got the physical... Capacity. No, no, she doesn't, exactly. Right, so this is a life divided just for the listeners, and an, another sure. one that I found, there's so many, but one of them catching an angel. Your mom is peering into her hands. This is a color photograph where your mom's peering into her hands in which an almost sort of volcanic supernatural light is emanating. Can you tell us a little bit about that photograph, catching an angel? You know, that was about the time my brother's anniversary, 10th anniversary of his passing happened um, last year. And I did a series of um, my mom's low-light candles, just very, very low-light. And that particular one, mm. I had an idea. So I, I was using a flashlight. When I, I can't focus on the subject because the light is so poor, I will shine a flashlight on the subject where I focus, and then I turn the flashlight off, and I take the picture. So it gives me a focus uh, with light. Mm -hmm. So I had this little tiny flashlight with me, and I I had her hold the flashlight at one point to see if I can get uh, a certain light underneath her. And I noticed that the light from the flashlight was emanating through her hands. I thought, oh my gosh, this is cool. So I had her squeeze this flashlight a little tighter, and the light was coming through her hands. Um, You couldn't see the flashlight. And I thought, well, that would be fantastic. And she was reflecting on my brother, and I, I just had her in a very quiet state. And the quiet state for her was in a prayer. The light that's emanating between her fingers, that's all photoshopped. But the light okay. itself through her hands is a tiny flashlight that she has in between her hands. It's, I gave away my secret. That You did, but that's okay. <laughs> it's not magical anymore. <laughs> it's, really, it's really an angel. I, I really didn't want to say that, but, you know, I made it up the flashlight part. Okay, well, your secret's <laughs> been revealed, but I don't think that would be no, very no. easy to duplicate. It's it's quite exquisite. It <laughs> kind of reminded me one of those old 30s horror films where there's something in a box that no one dares open, and then when that one person opens it, that light yes, comes out. Yes, um, I, I, remember, I remember as a kid when I saw E.T., I uh-huh. had this little keychain flashlight, this little, little tiny one, and I would just for something to do, I'd, you know, I'd hold keys in my hands, and that little flashlight would always wind up to my fingers, and I'd press the button, and have this light come through my finger, uh-huh. and like E.T., like his finger glowed in the movie. And so this whole flashlight in her hands was uh, an idea that I probably had from many, many years ago that just came back. And, of course, <laughs> you did one a photograph with your mom called E.T. Call Home, <laughs> where she's holding oh. up the binoculars, and her oh, eyes are magnified. Yeah. Janet, that, paint, that uh, photograph was never going to be posted. I thought that was a big mistake, really? but it's the one that's been played the most. Yes. <laughs> there are two photographs that were mistakes. They were mistakes because they didn't turn out the way I thought they were going to be, but they have a, a sense on their own. And that one with the, with the binoculars was based on an idea I had of an old movie called Das Boot. Oh, das and Boot. it's a German uh-huh. submarine mm-hmm. film. And I love the camera work in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love that film as far as the, the, the cinematography and all that. And I remember thinking about that film 
And I had this old pair of binoculars. I thought, oh, let's do something with this. Almost like the Das Boot type of feeling. And I wound up with E.T. instead. Because it was probably more well, it wasn't re- relatable, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did another one with a, a light bulb in my mom's mouth. Which struck me as incredible that you got her to do that. She you has know, a light I, bulb I, I, in I, her mouth. I, I, yeah, yeah, I know. And, and that, <laughs> that borders that on elder strange. abuse, Tony. Well, yes. I, I have put up a disclaimer saying that no uh, seniors were harmed in the light bulb in her mouth. And uh, the wattage was low enough that she wasn't electrocuted. But that was, that was coming from an idea I had of an old Fritz Lang film called Metropolis. And I thought, okay, let's do something with that. And I wound up with Uncle Fester from the Adams Family. <laughs> that is from a collection called The Strange Ones, that particular yes. series, which includes a photograph of your mother holding open a book and coming out of the book is a photograph of her so she's actually peering at herself and kind of shocked right at seeing herself looking that, that at her. happened yeah that that photograph happened after the book was published uh-huh. so she's actually holding her own book and you know i remember i was i was painting and she's looking she's looking through the book of her own photographs or photographs of her and I, I heard at one point saying, oh my gosh, this one looks like it's coming right at me. This one looks like it's popping right out. And uh-huh. I just had an idea of doing a, a little pop-up book. So, um, right. Do you have any particular <laughs> favorites? Uh, the favorites I have not, are not necessarily of the final photograph, but of the process that uh-huh. was involved in making it. Hmm. The, the fun, the, the skateboard. There's one that she's on a skateboard. I don't know if you've seen that one. And there's another one of her skipping rope. That was fun in putting together. I remember the whole process of setting that up. And, you know, she's not actually jumping. I'll just leave it at that. And she's not actually on a skateboard. Okay. <laughs> and I love Italian without words because I'm Greek, <laughs> and Greeks have so many, and I'm other cultures, have so many of these expressions that require no actual words. The universally uh-huh. known Italian gesture for F.U. Pretty funny that you got your mom to do that. There are a lot more than uh, what is shown as well. I have, um, oh, I think we did about 40 or 50 of them. And it's not her nature to swear or mm-hmm. to be degrading of any sort. Mm-hmm. And it's out of character for her. But she got into character. It was so great. She was, uh, <laughs> she was acting out. I said, Mom, this is not you. We're trying to teach people certain slang words. You know, we're using you as a model, but it's not really Elia who's saying these words. So we started really, really soft, you know, chow and mm-hmm. how are you and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And maybe about the 10th or 12th image, we got into the more, you know, go to the devil, <laughs> which mm-hmm. she never does. That, that was one of those days that she was laughing hysterically. Oh, uh, my gosh. And I had to wait. Yeah. She really comes alive in those photographs. She just looks so beautiful. Tony, how has this experience changed your relationship with your mother? And how has it changed you? Um... I, I've, I've always had a sense of of who I am and what I do, and how I do it, and what I what I want to say with what I do. But with, with this this personal and long association with my mom, it's not just a one time model. It, it's it's a constant thing. I've been taking photographs of her for the last two years. It, it has been completely unrelenting. It's been constant, and. It's the process, like I said before, my painting as well. I love the process. And it's been a two-year process of coming up with all this, uh, all these photographs of her. And I just love the process. It's been trying, and I've been certainly tested. And I think I'm coming through fine. Mm-hmm. I think I'm coming through really well. In what way do you think um, you've been tested? As, 
Well, with my mom, because there's, it's not always fun times. You know, they may come across that way, but it's not. You know, there are times where, you know, it's sad and it's frustrating for her. And it comes through me. She wets the bed or mm-hmm. things I have to change in the middle of the night. I cycle twice a week with a group and mm-hmm. we do 50 kilometers. And I come home and I have to make me, I have to shower and I have to make meals. And she doesn't really help out with any of that anymore. So it's a panic for me to get everything in order. It's a routine now, which is something that you know, I'm living with. So it's not frustrating. It's not tiring as much. I'm used to it. So it starts in the beginning in the, in the morning when I have to get her ready for her to get up with the coffee and breakfast and laundry and dishes and all those things before she even gets out of bed. And then she has her breakfast and she does her thing, whatever she wants to do, and I go back to work. And it, it's it's a trying experience. It's really tiring. Yeah. But like I said before, at the same time, it's it's um, it's a routine and I, I'm dealing with it. And I know I have to deal with it, and I want to deal with it. Do you, um, do you have any outside I help? I have home care that comes in twice a week mm-hmm. and to give her a shower. Okay. So I don't have to give her a bath anymore. So that helps. Mm-hmm. And then she goes away two days a week to a day we program. So it's from morning till late afternoon. She's away with other seniors, which gives me a, a breather as well. I can do my shopping mm-hmm. and not have to worry about coming back in time for her meals or for anything to look after her. So she's gone for two of those days in a week. That's good for me to have. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it, it seems like she's still physically in good enough health that she can go for her walks with a walker. Is that right? Oh, my gosh. Janice, she will outwalk you. She is out now, and did you ever see the movie called The Swimmer, Burt Lancaster? No, uh-uh. It's, about a, it's an old film, I think in the 60s, uh-huh. a fellow who has an, a psychological problem. We don't know it uh, as film watchers, and he, he goes from one swimming pool to another swimming pool through neighbor's backyards, and he's swimming home, and he goes through all the swimming pools, and along the way, he meets characters, meets neighbors, and so forth, and he has... Uh, issues and slowly but surely his secret the mystery is revealed through all these swims well my mom does not the swimming pool but she goes from park bench to park bench to park bench on her route to come back home so there's the whole town Hmm. and she'll start off with her walker and she'll be gone for three four five hours at a time and she'll just sit at a park bench for about 20 minutes and then get up and then go uh, a couple blocks and find another park bench under uh, a shady tree and sit for another half hour or so, and then get up and leave again. And by the time she's home, it's five hours later, six hours later. And I know what she's doing now because she and I have been offered two solo exhibitions at the Public Art Gallery here in Durham (laughs) next January, February, March. And based on my photography of her and then her photographs, and her photographs will be of her route around town. Oh, wow. But what I've also done is I purchased a, a GoPro camera, and I stuck it on her rollator, her walker. So um, I, when she comes home, I take it off, and I put the recording on my computer so I can edit it later. And I see her walking. You, you don't see her. You see the right. image uh, of the, foreground the walking going down the road. And all of a sudden, it stops for half an hour. <laughs> and you don't know that the camera's not a still until you see a car go by or a leaf blow by, uh-huh. and then you know it's a video, and all of a sudden it picks up again, and she's on something else. 
it's, it's uh-huh. quite a fascinating it's quite a journey yeah it's really fascinating and you don't worry about well, her we, when she's out on her own like this i always worry about her i i, I can't panic because it's like putting humor into the disease that she has i can't wallow in it you know she is degrading but there's always humor in it and you have to have that humor in order to survive i i can't i can't be with her 24 7 so when she's on her walk, I do have spotters in town. Uh-huh. Yeah, she stays on her route. She doesn't deviate from that. Uh-huh. So if I do have to find her, I'll just hop on my bike or in the car, and I will find her within the first five minutes. Uh, oh. I know where she is. <laughs> You've developed Thank a good you. strategy. Yeah, and she can't be tied. And she can't be tied up. She can't. I can't. Yeah. Mom staying here with me, and you know, I say, Mom, wear a hat, wear sunglasses. I said, Why? Well, Mom, you're going to get skin cancer. And then she says. I'm 93 years old. (laughs) Who cares? You know, give me a cigarette. I'm not going to die of cancer. (laughs) Well, getting back to the photographs for a moment, Tony, when people look at these photographs, what do you want them to see? I want them to see life. I want them to see how life doesn't have to end when you're old. Life continues when there's no life left. And to put people away just to wallow in their misery for the last years of their lives, it's not a good way of ending your life. And it's, it's spend time with your elders, uh, the people that need help, the ones with age issues uh, and, and with dementia and with Alzheimer's and with any other sort of disability. Spend time with them because it, it's a reward in itself because I got so much back from this. I'm enjoying my life more knowing what life is all about because she's not just put away in a nursing home and I don't see her. I'm living with her and I'm conversing with her and I'm doing things with her that tell me that when I'm that age, hopefully if I ever get to be that age, I have a sense that I could be like that too. If only someone was there to help me along or bring it out of me as well. And if there is nobody there, at least I know I have it in me. Hopefully I will know that when I'm 93, that I can do things like this. And it's a sense of worth and being human. And today's society is all about being, you know, throwing things away and disposal. And if the color's wrong on your refrigerator, you throw it out, even though it works perfectly fine. And I think we do that with people too much as well. We have our own life. And people say, I don't have time. We all have time. We all have time. It's a matter of where your priorities lie and what you do with that time. And I don't know. I just, I just, it was a need for me, uh, Jenna, to be able to do this. I need to give back. And it's in me to do this, too. You touched, touched on uh, Wonder Woman, the painting I did. You know, mm-hmm. She was my partner for five years. Uh-huh. Breast cancer, and she, she passed away four years ago. Mm. But it's been five years with her, and you know, we discovered the lump uh, a week after we dated. And I was with her for five years after that. And, and I remember walking with her, and she had a friend of hers. We were walking through a, uh, hiking through some woods. And this is a couple of years, and she's gone through her chemo and so forth. And I, I finished the painting, and... And she was talking to her friend, and I'm walking a little bit of ahead, and I can hear them saying, man, this, this, is, this has been quite a ride, you know, I, I don't wish this on anybody, mm-hmm. and especially Tony. He's been with me, and, you know, like, I've taken his freedom away. Like, he could be doing so many different things, and he's stuck with a, a sick person. And I turned around and said, Monica, I got a great painting out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing. And she starts laughing. And her friend starts laughing, and it was just great. I thought, mm. oh, just make fun of something and positive about something instead of always being depressed about something that's sad. Bringing a little bit of humor into it as well is enlightening for a lot of people, too, that are going through hard times. And my mom's going through a hard time. She's really concerned about her age. Yeah, really so was mine. 
Yeah. Yeah, my mom's 87, so, and um, what you're saying resonates a lot. No, and I, and I think the photographs have really touched the nerve with a lot of people in the world because they can all relate to it. Yeah. You know, they're all people that have, you know, parents or grandparents or themselves that are at a stage in their lives, and they, they wonder. And I, you know, I've gotten a lot of photographers, you know, actual photographers, real photographers, who have seen my work over the last couple of years being posted, and I can't tell you how many times different people have said or commented, oh, I wish I would have done this with my parents. Hmm. I don't have them anymore. Mm-hmm. And they're a photographer, mm-hmm. and they never documented them. Yeah, isn't that something? And and it's, it's lost. Once it's gone, it's gone. So just being there for people mm-hmm. and, and just making yourself present for them instead of bearing yourself into uh, another room when you're living with somebody and just, you know, enjoy the company and, and make them part of it. And that's what I did here. You know, I didn't shut my mom out of my studio. I made her part of my studio. Could you ever have anticipated that things would go in this direction? <laughs> never, never. Like, I, I turned 60 this year. Oh. And I'm living with my mother. Like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> I can it's imagine okay. on a first date, if I ever go on a date with anybody, and they ask me what I do, and I say, well, I'm an artist, that's strike one. Do you have any money? No, strike two. And I live with my mother, or my mother lives with me, actually. Right. That's strike three, I'm out. So <laughs> I think Woody Allen have fun with this one. And then, of course, Alfred Hitchcock's cycle always comes up. And I say, no, 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 Mo. Mom's clothes are way too small for me. They do not fit. Don't you worry no. about her falling down the stairs? You live in an old church, right? Yes. Two floors. Yes. And she's on the stairs a lot because she likes to make herself useful. And even though I do have brooms and vacuum cleaners and so forth, that's what she likes to do. And she'll just completely ignore them and pick up with her fingers. You know, I have a dog, so there's dog hair on the stairs. Uh-huh. So she'll pick up hair with her fingers. So she's up and down the stairs a lot. And again, how often do I have to be concerned about it? I can't be watching her 24-7 every single moment. Mm-hmm. So um, Maybe you could pad the stairs. Are they carpeted at least? No, they're not. They're wooden. I've fallen down those stairs. <laughs> but <sighs> It's out of your hands. She's going to do what she's going to yeah, do. You know, you know. Exactly. So I've taken the dog aspect out of it. So she's not walking the dog anymore. So that, that's not a concern anymore, even though my dog has been really great. But she weighs you know? less than the dog, you said, right? Yeah, she so weighs that's... 85 pounds. And my dog weighs 87. She weighs 85. Um, oh, she's tiny. 85. She's tiny. Yeah. There is one other question I'd like to ask. You wrote on your one of your websites, the series was initially conceived with a book project in mind, but it's grown to be so much more. And I'm hoping to construct a meaningful dialogue between now and then. But ultimately, you said it's all about the hum. What do you mean by that, yeah. the hum? But the hum is a, a three-letter word that I've come up with for many, many years in my painting. And it's the feeling in the gut. You can't describe a hum. It's, it's like humming to music. You know the music, and you can't remember the words, so you hum to it. So uh, the hum is indescribable. It's the gut. It's, you know, I can pick it, bring an example of a person. People can relate to that. I, I use it with art as well. But a person, you see someone, and the visual changes into the feeling inside of yourself, into the midsection of you, in your gut, the hum. And you stop thinking about it, and you start feeling about it. Mm. It's all about feeling. And I've had it with paintings. I've seen like maybe half a dozen paintings in my life that have hit me that way. And a couple people, real people in my life that have hit me that way too. So it doesn't come often. Mm-hmm. And when it does come up, you know it. It's a feeling. I've had it with two of my own paintings. 
you know, I've done hundreds of paintings, but only two of them actually have hit me that way. And which ones um, are those? The one of Wonder Woman, the one you described of mm-hmm. uh, the, the cancer painting. And the other one is a drawing of my ex-wife pregnant with my first daughter, and she's lying on her back. The whole meaning behind it. Yeah. I have that drawing with me. I have never sold it. It's not for sale. But huh. I, I'll look at that drawing I did 27, no, gosh, 29 years ago, and it still hits me the same way. And it certainly can be the fact that it's my first daughter. It could be that, but it's the whole feeling of the work. It's not the technique, technical aspect of it. It's not you know, how it's drawn or painted or whatever it is. It's just a feeling. When it leaves your head and it enters your gut, and it happens with music, it happens with a lot of different arts, and you just feel it. Mm-hmm. Again, you can't describe it. Mm. Do you have any last thoughts that you'd like to leave with the listeners? Thoughts that you'd, you'd like to share on why seniors and what you hope to achieve? I hope people have a chance to look at my work. And as a visual artist, that's really wonderful for me to be able to have people look at my work. And we're all going to be there. You know, most of us will will wind up being that senior that we're looking after or that senior that we're not looking after. And if we can just put ourselves in that position and wanting company and wanting someone to listen to us and be present with us, it's put yourself in that position, and hopefully we're not neglected like some of the seniors are these days, tucked away and forgotten. And, you know, I, I don't want my mom to ever be that way, and I don't want to be myself, and I don't want, you know, my close friends or anybody to be that way. But it happens. It happens more often than not. You know, I've, I've gone to the seniors' residences here in, in this town and, and uh, surrounding towns as well, and I've seen how alone these people are. They're sitting there staring out the window and they have family and they just don't visit they have friends who just don't visit and the only time they come is when the funeral happens it's a bit too late then so um it's just a nice way of saying goodbye goodbye in a meaningful way tony luciani the common ground for both his painting and photography is about the passion of desire the need to create and the elusive meaningful hum Be sure to check our website for links to all of Tony's exquisite work, including his book, Mama in the Meantime, and a link to his mother's Facebook page. His mother has a Facebook page. Yes. (laughs) Tony, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for taking the time. I know your time is precious when your mom's not around. So thanks so much for taking the time to do this interview. Thank you, Jan. It's been a real pleasure. Nice talking to you, too. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, Jan. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. The AgeWise podcast is produced and edited by me, Jana Panaritis, and you can listen to the show and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The AgeWise podcast is also distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand network that's always on for you. And don't forget to check out our website for more amazing caregiving stories from the field. Go to agewise.com. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z. Remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.